You are listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Solomon Earhart and Alan Draper, where they will discuss scaling and growing your pest control company with the goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. Pest control checked a lot of the same boxes that interns did, right? I wanted a recession-proof product, needed to be recurring, and we need to be able to set it up to where if I needed to be, you know, out of the office for a month, you know, it wasn't relying on me, right? So I'm, I'm sure that's some of the, a lot of the same reason you you guys got into the business. And, you know, I never thought I'd be in pest control. And now I think it's one of the, the greatest industries in the, you know, uh, you know, in the country. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Alan Draper. I founded and currently own Proof Pest Control. My man, Saul is the other host. What's up, Saul? How you doing? What's up, man? How are you doing? Good, dude. I'm still kind of on that like pest world high, you know? Yeah. Like I thought it was awesome, you know, still, you know, shooting back and forth some emails with vendors and some other connections that, that I made. So, you know, trying to get back into the, the swing of things, it's been, you know, over a week now, but yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been busy. And then I head out this week on uh, Wednesday to Greensboro, North Carolina to do a North Carolina Pest Management Association conference called United We Stand. You know, so we got uh, Phil Cooper's actually going to be uh, the key oh, nice. speaker and moderator of that presentation who we just interviewed last week. And so yep. that will, I think, be released, what, not next Thursday or the Thursday after? I think it might actually be the the week that we're recording this. So okay, um, so maybe this Thursday. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm uh I'm gonna be a you know presenter. I mean a speaker panelist on one of the talks on marketing and and branding. So super excited about that. You know, and and the main speaker on that presentation is somebody that I uh that I am excited to be a a panelist on his talk. So. I'm going to make it very interesting, you know, bringing up this, the door to door stuff. So kind of th- yeah. throwing it in their face a little bit. So um, <laughs> that's cool. <man. laughs> Super that's cool. About that. But yeah, you'll man, have I to mean, report it- back on that. I will for sure. So yeah, just super excited. I mean, going from one thing right to the next. I mean, you know, the industry is, is awesome. So just super excited to kind of continue what we're doing and, and, you know, also obviously who we got on the the podcast for today as well too. So cool. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, let's get to it. So just just for our listeners, before we get to today's guest, like, you know, I've started to see a few more reviews roll in and that that helps us a lot, right? That helps people that are actually looking for our podcast find it. It doesn't matter the platform that you're listening to it on. Go ahead and leave us a review. And not just the stars, right? Click the number of stars, but then also write us something. That you know, if you want to do something for Saul and I for putting this together. You know that's that that's a great help. Make sure to subscribe to it or follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Today, we're excited to welcome Rusty Pruitt. Let me tell you a little bit about Rusty. So he started Pruitt Pest Control in July 2020 from scratch. Check this number out. They're doing 1.5 million in recurring revenue already, and they've opened three locations in Alabama. He also owns a real estate investment group and Pruitt Insurance Group, which he started in 2009. And he's actually been awarded the top 1% of all state agencies in the country. So impressive numbers there. He was selected to serve on the executive leadership program with Saul for the National Pest Management Association. And he also hosts the Pruitt Pest Podcast, where he is documenting the journey of starting a brand new pest control company as an outsider in the industry. 
And so we're excited to have Rusty here with us. Thanks for joining us, Rusty. Man, glad to be here. And, you know, I actually don't look like I have complete gray hair from all the stuff you just mentioned, but uh, it's probably falling out if it's not gray. So, Dude, what, what, what a bio though, man. Oh my God. Took me a while to get through that one. It's <laughs> a lot to, lot to spit out. I mean, one and a half million in one year. I mean, dude, that, that's awesome. And three locations. I don't, I don't know how you do it. Well, uh, we're, we're, we're definitely still trying to figure it out ourselves. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do what we're doing today, surround myself around guys like you guys. Cause I've had both of you on my podcast. And of course, the picture brains through text, phone calls, and, you know, I got connected with Alan, I guess, listening to his podcast, uh, Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company. Um, and man, I, I tell you, I, I'm a student for learning because I'm a C student. And so I've got, it doesn't come natural to me. So I've got like copy really good people, you know? And so, uh, so yeah. The C man, students I'm, make all the money though. <laughs> all right, well, maybe I'm an A student. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome, was, man. Was, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that 1.5 million. What were you doing for marketing? You know, when we first started, uh, you know, in our in our hometown, you know, I, I live in Auburn, Alabama, uh, War Eagle, so a uh, small town, college town, and you know, we we with our other business, the insurance business, uh, we have Pruitt Insurance Groups, uh, Allstate Insurance Agency. We bought and sold like bought and sold locations over the years. Uh, we have two now. We sold a, we sold one, our third one we sold earlier in the year, and um, you know, we we kind of had a marketing and a brand, you know, sort of campaign going with what we've been doing with our other business for the last, you know, 10 years. And so, you know, we've, we've leveraged that obviously uh, in the community, you know, the, the metro area is probably 150, 200,000. So it's, it's a, it's a small town, you know, large enough, a lot of growth, probably one of the large, you know, fastest growing areas, you know, in the state of Alabama, if not, you know, in in the Southeast. So um, I would say a combination, probably like, you know, a lot of others, you know, you're still trying to figure it out, but, you know, traditional marketing, uh, digital marketing, uh, you know, your referral-based business and a little bit of everything, man. Yeah. Now, Rusty, I mean, with the insurance agencies, I mean, are your, is your pest control branches, are they in a lot of those same areas where you do the insurance stuff too, to where you're kind of maybe able to like cross sell between the the customers you already have on the insurance side of the business as well? You know, the, the markets we're in with pest control, of course, Auburn, uh, we acquired a company, a small company in March uh, down on the Gulf Coast. So those are, you know, this is a national, if not worldwide podcast. So most of, most listeners may not realize we have uh, a 20 miles of shoreline uh, down here in Alabama on the Gulf Coast. And so we, we bought this company down here in March uh, and, and are expanding in this area, uh, as well as West Alabama, kind of that in that area. With, uh, with Allstate, with insurance, we can ride all over Alabama and Georgia. As far as leveraging the, the two, we haven't, we haven't done that yet. Uh, you know, we've kind of been very careful to make sure, I don't know, to, to try to keep everybody in their lane and not to, uh, I guess, make it too cloudy trying to confuse customers on, on either end, you know, plus there's some guidelines that we have to adhere to with Allstate, you know, as far as, as far as cross marketing, but I definitely think there's an opportunity to leverage relationships in all markets that we're in, you know, whether it be referral sources, realtors, uh, builders, developers, whatnot. Awesome. So let's talk about, I guess, how you started in pest control, right? So it's like you're top 1% of all, all state agencies in the country. You know, you got this real estate investment group as well going on. I'm sure you were super busy, probably, you know, working a bunch of hours already. So then what made you, especially in the year of the pandemic, start yeah. a pest control company? <laughs> I know, great timing, right? I'm a genius. 
But, Actually, but, it was great timing. I know. I mean, who would have who would have thought? Um, you know, back up a little bit. You know, I graduated college in two thousand and one, uh, and in two thousand and two, two thousand three, I, I had a job. You know, pretty pretty much out of school uh, for the membership. I was a membership director for the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Hoover Chamber of Commerce in Birmingham, uh, our largest city in the state. You know, I did that for about a year and a half. Then I made the mistake, or or if you want to call it that, of reading uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and about. 30 days later, I'd quit my job, sent the book to my brother. He read the book. Two weeks later, he quit his job. Our parents are about to kill us both because we're idiots. You know, we moved back home. We start flipping real estate. And that was in the hey, uh, the real estate, you know, kind of heyday back in 03, 04. And, you know, we rode that wave, you know, until about 2008 when the Great Recession hit. And, uh, you know, here we are young kids and didn't really have families, you know, at the time. And, you know, we could take a lot of risk. And, um when the, when the music stopped, and I, I was just on a podcast the other day, um, and we, we talked about this, and when the music stopped, man, we didn't have a chair under his right. And so all our livelihood was, uh, was dependent upon selling, selling something, like flipping a piece of real estate. And, you know, we had gotten to the point where we were, you know, we were developing land and selling lots. We weren't necessarily builders building, but so you went from like just, you could sell anything to anybody, kind of like the, the market today is just nuts, which scares me. And so when the, when the market crashed and we came to the Great Recession, I said, you know, it's time to find a business to own and not just go deal to deal. And, uh, and that's what I'd been doing. I hadn't created a business. And of course, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, they talk about passive income and setting up systems and processes to run the business, and which I invested in, in rental real estate. So, you know, that was checking off some of those boxes. But then... Um, that's what got me into insurance, right? And I had no insurance background. So I was an outsider kind of going into that industry. And, you know, you fast forward, you know, 10 years. And as an entrepreneur, you guys know this, right? So you um, you want to chase all these ideas. You got all these ideas to do this and that. And next thing you know, I found myself as a jack of all trades, master of none. And yep. so I, I finally just put blinders on and said, I'm going to be the best all state insurance agency owner I can in the country, and let's focus on really scaling this business. And when I did that, and I, I, you know, had to turn down all these other great ideas I had, or you know, or things. And you guys battle with that, I'm sure. That's what kind of got us to where we are today with insurance. Not that we're coasting by any means; we're still trying to figure it out. A lot of changes, but you know, I, I decided it was it was a good time to sort of diversify. And if I tried to do this five, six, seven years ago. I probably would have failed miserably and, and or, you know, would, we would not have probably been on the trajectory so far this fast. Pest control checked a lot of the same boxes that interns did, right? I wanted a recession-proof product, needed to be recurring, and we need to be able to set it up to where if I needed to be, you know, out of the office for a month, you know, it wasn't relying on me, right? So I'm, I'm sure that's some of the, lot, a lot of the same reason you, you guys got into the business and you know, I never thought I'd be in pest control, and now I think it's one of the, the greatest industries in the, you know, uh, you know, in the country. Yeah, I think well, well, a lot of us, a lot of our listeners, they're in pest control because that's where you know they they got a job, right? Either as a technician or as a door to door salesman, and they were really good door to door salesmen. They're like, okay, there's a lot of money in this, and and now they're trying to make it work on the on the business end. And one thing that I was going to say that really surprised me about Pest World. So I had taken a few year hiatus from Pest World and this was my my first year back in a couple of years is I was able to see how much money 
is being just poured into our industry in terms of especially vendors like how many software companies were there selling something and i kind of fell into the pest control industry a little bit cuz my brother was really good at door to door sales making a lot of money back in 2006 when he first got started and i went out there with him you know fast forward 15 years and you know i hadn't been in the industry the entire time he has man it's it's like especially after covid i i look back and it's sometimes it's better to be lucky than good <laughs> right we chose this industry for one reason or another but you know our industry thrived when you know and i feel bad saying this but a lot of industries just got hammered especially by regulation thank goodness we were listed as you know essential and and who's the government to tell us who who's essential and who's not but you know we really lucked out on that i opened a branch in one of the most liberal states in in new york last year and i remember traveling and one of the only reasons that i was able to travel to get stuff set up there was because i was designated as an essential business this industry just going to pest world we're is and i think it's just getting started i fell into this industry but i love it for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned, Rusty, you know, I, I, I just think it's, it's fantastic. I think the sky's the limit. And I wanted to give you a second there with your thought, but I, I do have a question for you about yeah. how you scaled it. Yeah, I was just going to say, so, you know, what I see changes coming in the insurance industry and, and, and just like a lot of other industries, you know, insurance has become more and more of a commodity, right? So it's commoditized. So, you know, you have your Geico's, your progressives, uh, you know, all they're telling is, hey, get the cheapest price. And, you know, and that's that's never a place you want to be. And so we've tried to create value with our insurance clients. How can we be the app, you know, the arms to the uh, to the apple? Right. Right. So I was looking to diversify into a, into another business because I have a really good team for the insurance side and really good director of operations. And, you know, hey, this is good timing. Let's step out there. I was actually trying. I was looking at, OK, what are industries that will not or more than likely not going to be disrupted with technology, right? So my wife's a travel agent today, right? And she kind of does it, you know, for fun on the side. She's passionate about it. Think about back in the day when you had thousands of travel agents, right? And then they got downsized and now they're kind of back, but they have a very specific niche, right? And I feel like that's where, you know, we'll be with insurance, you know, uh, you know, in the coming years, I don't think we'll be wiped out or anything, but I do see the changes. And and so with pest control, I'm like, man, you cannot replace someone coming out to your home servicing, you know, this is a service-based business. And so I said, okay, well, what could disrupt pest control, right? I'm like, I, yeah. I don't want to go all in on something if it's just going to get disrupted and I'm trying to find the next thing. And I said, well, what about like I right, do it yourself? You know, could that ever be something? And so I actually, I may have mentioned this to you guys in the past, but I said, you know what? I want to do a, a direct-to-consumer do-it-yourself pest control company kind of like Dollar Shave Club is subscription base. It's, um, you know, recurring, you know, that kind of thing. And I started researching and realized it didn't exist. And, you know, I realized, you know, after a couple of months of due diligence, that's not the path I wanted to go. And, and so that's mm-hmm. kind of what got me, in, you know, really into thinking pest control. And I'm glad I did. And it's funny, I, I met with um, Eloise, who was one of my co-hosts on the other on the podcast, and she. I told her I was going to start a new business, right? And anybody I told I was starting this new business, which I kept it like close to my chest for months, and finally, I you know I tell someone like I'm starting a new business, they're like, "What is it?" You know, because they know like I'm entrepreneurial, I'm a, I'm a marketing guy. Their face would light up and like, "What is it?" You know, and I'd say, "Pest control," and they're like, 
everybody's face would drop. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so when I asked, when I told her, her face dropped, I'm like, well, and she's like, what's going to make you different. And I'm like, well, I hate to say it, but like, if we just try to like run a, you know, a marketing and sales organization, obviously focusing on service, mm-hmm. I feel like we can be different in the industry just because most, you know, most small businesses are just, I don't know. They're they're They don't necessarily treat their company like, company if that makes sense that doesn't make them right or wrong but i just i think it creates opportunity for people probably like ourselves who want to go out and market and train and develop people and invest in our people so i like what you're talking about with the disruption right and i've thought about it and it reminds me a little bit of you know one day years ago i learned that the biggest proponents of bank regulation are really big banks and i was like why would they do that and it's like well with that high regulation, it keeps their competitors out, right? Keeps the small guys out so that they can really dominate. And so they, over the years, they try to, you know, they advocate for more and more regulation. When, when you think about what can disrupt our industry, one of the issues with technological disruption is the regulation. It's like, how do you get a robot or a drone to come do pest control? Because right now you have to have a license, right? So there would have to be some legislative change along with that. And so I think about this idea of, you know, what's going to disrupt our industry. And I think there's there's ways to do it. And right now, especially with, with what's happening with the the labor force and the labor market is I think you do it by taking care of your people. I yeah. think that's how you disrupt the industry is by the guys that are out there paying the most for their people they have higher retention rates and all these things that make their company better. But you know, I've had somebody come to me and they're like, Hey, do you think Amazon's going to come up with a drone that sprays pesticide? I'm like, I don't know how legally they're going to be able to do that. Right. Cause our industry is kind of protected in that way. I actually kind of believe on the opposite side of what you do. I, I do think that technology will disrupt our industry, right? I think we're already seeing some of that kind of taking place right now with a lot of these smart systems, right? Where it's, you know, monitoring, you know, it's really kind of stuck more to a monitoring aspect right now, but you know, where I think the industry will change and where I think it will really affect a lot of the labor force is it will go much more from a blue collar to a white collar, like labor force, right? So I think the technicians will be more white collar, like tech savvy type of individuals that will show up to houses and everything, you know, in my mind, I think will be, you know, they'll be able to see everything from the system and they'll deploy these drones that will go out and, and read from these systems and basically apply the exercise or, or products as needed based on IPM, you know, based on the sensors and, and the homes in the, the system showing them where there are activity or issues that need to be developed. And a normal person couldn't just show up and, mm-hmm. and run this, you know, run this computer system or be able to use all that data or those analytics and, and deploy those type of equipment, right? Because you guys may, you know, have experienced this and I don't anymore because we're very strict on, or specific on kind of our hiring because our company, you know, we, we try to really hire based on our core values and, and our niche and, and who we are, right? We're a younger group. We're very tech savvy, you know, iPads, all these type of things, right? Everything's online, no paperwork. So it's like, we've had, you know, in the beginning, a few older guys, that have been in the industry for say 20, 30 years, they come on board, they don't even know how to use an iPad to save their (laughs) life, right? And they just don't end up working out with us. But imagine all those people that are like that, that aren't tech savvy when there is this major shift in technology. I mean, Mm -hmm. everything is mostly 
cloud-based now or went through a software. There's very little companies filling out paper invoices anymore, right? Well, and look, and I think I think technology, we can leverage technology, not that it would disrupt the industry, but I think consumers are changing, right? Buying behavior is cha- changing. And what do we mean by this? You know, listen to my podcast or if you have, always talk about it. You look at Amazon, right? I can buy all my basic essentials and, and it can be in my house in a day to two days if I need to return it, which happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, instead of getting two pairs, instead of getting this one pair of shoes and wonder what size, let me go in and order two pair and I'm going to send them the immediate, you know, one right back free shipping. They've created a customer experience, right? And so I think customers are going to, they're now expecting that they they're expecting to be communicated with text. And it's not just, it's not just uh, mm-hmm. you know, the millennials. I mean, I think that's, my 77-year-old mom communicates with text and is on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so she's going to have that same expectation. And I think that's where it's not like we have to innovate and come up with some game-changing technology to, you know, make maybe, you know, send drones out necessarily. But how can we create an experience for the consumer that makes it super easy for them to do business with us, right? So, for example, a company I had my, I personally had my pest control with, you know, in Auburn, before obviously starting the company, is a friend of mine, that, um, and they did a phenomenal job with texting uh, communication. You know, they made it easy for me. They set set me up on auto draft. I mean, you know that that is that is a convenient factor for me. Whether they kill bugs great or not, and they did a great job, but I'd rather do that than with the best pest control company that they play phone tag with me to schedule service, and then because we're all busy, right? It's not just us as entrepreneurs trying to manage companies. It's everybody, man, and everybody's distracted by this right here, right? So yeah. people's attention is extremely challenging, right? You you call and leave me a voicemail. I may not I may not listen to it for eight hours, you know, just because we're busy chasing yeah. kids, you know, all that. Yeah, stuff. no, I think you're right. And another thing that adds to kind of that line of thought is we're in an industry where people don't like thinking about us, right? Yeah. Our job is best done when we are f- as far from our customers' minds as possible. We're not selling like luxury purses or clothes or cars. We're not something that people would like necessarily like to stop and scroll, you know, scroll through on our our Instagram, right? right. Pictures of bugs and stuff. Our job is best done when our customers don't think about us. And that is a very powerful message that has taken me years to understand. They don't care about what species of ant that is. Okay, <laughs> technicians that are listening. They don't care. They want them gone. That's it. When we, just like Rusty was saying, when we do business with them in ways that makes it really easy for them, right? A text message reminder. Okay, perfect. They're coming. That's all I need to know. Okay, the the service has been done. Here's some pictures of the house. This is what it looked like. I have proof that they were out there. The more that we can do that, the better we're going to be able to um, be at retaining our customers. Mm -hmm. They don't want to think about us in the first place. So, it, but I see, I feel like a lot of guys, they get nerded out. They're like, yeah, I want the customer to like look at my truck and I want to show them all my equipment and stuff. And it's like, all they want you to do is do your job and, and, and leave. Right. And you want to provide great customer service. You want to be nice to them. And you will have a customer that will follow you around every once in a while and be ask you some questions. But I would say 90% of the customers don't want to be thinking about us. And the better that we are, like Rusty said, with using technology to to that end, the more successful our companies are going to be. Totally, and, that, and that's what I love. Um, you know, when I started listening to your podcast, Alan, and I hear 
uh, or Clubhouse, you know, or, or talking to Solomon, like, you know, I love the, you know, kind of outsider thinking. And it's not saying, hey, we've got it figured out because we're coming from a different industry. But I think, you know, trying to think of it, um, again, a marketing and sales organization, right? Because I feel like we're going to take better customer care of customers than anybody else. I, I believe that with a passion because we're intentional in the way we're training and developing our our service people, right? But you know what? If we don't market and we don't focus on sales, we're not going to have customers to take care of. And so, and this is goes for the insurance side too. If we feel like we can take care of, and that's not saying it boasting. I just know we invest in our people and training. We spend a lot of money. We, you know, we just sent as a startup, we just sent three guys to Best World from our team, right? That's not cheap. I mean, that's 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 not cheap at all. It's an investment. And so I know we're taking those steps to invest in our people to create that. Because as you guys know, a great customer experience doesn't happen by accident, right? It happens with very thoughtful, intentional training and uh, like Chick-fil-A. I use them as an example all the time. Mm-hmm. You, I know, Solomon, you got Chick-fil-A, Alan. Do you guys have Chick-fil-A out there? Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone's, it, everyone's got Chick-fil-A. Oh, I mean, it's like the most, you know, you know, everywhere you go is predictable experience. The customer service is unbelievable. Right. And it's because of the training and the, you know, the systems they've put in place. And anyway, I don't mean to go off that tangent. I just, you know, I, I just love the, um, the investment that we have to put into people to Solomon's point, hire, you know, a higher caliber type person, you know, okay, well you pay them $5,000 more than what's industry standard, but you don't think, you don't think your customers are going to feel that or you yeah. don't, your turnover is not as much or I don't know. I just feel like um, there, there's opportunity to invest in several different areas, not just not just marketing, you know, when it comes to our to our companies. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you have a good you make a good point with that, too. And I think a big difference there is, you know, if you know much about like the Costco versus Sam's Club story, right? How it's like how much more profitable Costco is and how much better that organization is than Sam's Club, you know, from all the numbers standpoint, but they pay their people so much more money at Costco than obviously Sam's Club is owned by Walmart, you know, the Walmart group or whatever. So it's just, it's ran a lot different, but you know, I mean, you're right. I mean, the customer experience is, is what's going to make it or break it in this industry. And I think there's still so much more room to improve the customer experience in the pest control industry. You know, I know a lot of us, we all talk about a lot of these gaps in some of the software or communication technology pieces we use and things like that. And it's like when we can really develop like a very strong omni-channel presence in pest control, it's going to be a game changer. Nail on the head, omni-channel or multi-channel. You look at the the insurance company I represent, right? So they've been around for forever, right? And they're used to selling insurance, providing that through a local agent, right? And then they had to adapt, you know, online presence. And so they're constantly looking at different channels. And look, we're trying to be there. If someone wants to call us, purchase pest control to get service, we're there. And hopefully we're intentionally answering the phone in a, in a, in a, again, a very intentional way. If they want to buy pest control through our website, they can do that. If they want to text us, it's, it's, it's about what's most convenient, what makes sense for that consumer, not what's convenient for us. And I feel like that's where most of us, you know, get, we get caught in that trap. Sometimes we want the customer to do business with us the way we want them to. We don't get to decide that <laughs> it's, it's not up to us, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, going back to Solomon's point about this kind of comparison between Costco and Sam's club, a lot of times it's really, and I'm trying to think through this, but it's natural for us to think, okay, if I hire better people and I have to pay them more, 
then I'm going to have to pass that cost on to my customers. And, and that may or may not be true. And here's why. If you hire better people, they're going to solve problems for you that you currently have. Whether it's an efficiency problem, whether it's you know using less product, whether it's you know your cost per lead is less, they're gonna the better the people are, and and there might be a mix of that. You might be passing some of that superior service on to your customers, you know that that higher price for the better service. Um, and there is a you know for the people that are listening, if you think that there is not a difference from the consumer's standpoint between a poor and a great technician you are you, you need to do some work there's a huge difference in their perception um, somebody that shows up and they're sharp looking their you know their shirts pressed they don't look like they just got out of a crawl space even though they may have so keep that in mind that when you hire a better technician and you pay more for him or her you're going to be able to solve problems that you currently have and your bottom line is going to be increased as a result of that. It's not always okay. I'm I'm paying you know another twenty percent for this technician. I have to pass that twenty percent on to your. Give yourself a little time. Give that technician a little time to start solving some problems and bringing some knowledge into your company that he or she has obtained from other companies before you just knee jerk reaction like, how am I going to pay for this? Yeah. And I think one of the biggest differences between a good technician and maybe a, a bad technician, right, is not even so much like the technical knowledge or experience, right? I think where really separate yourself between other companies is how do you communicate with your customer? Like, are you showing up and you're just saying, hey, I'm here to do my thing and I'm out? Or it's like, are you having conversation? Are you developing relationships? You know, are you creating dialogue? Are you explaining things in a way that makes sense for them, right? Are you setting proper expectations, you know? And then are you getting in there and getting out, you know, so you, so they can get on with their day so you're not interrupting them, right? You know, are you, are you making the the adjustments, like if they work from home and they don't want you to knock on the door during the day, are you making note yes. of that in your, in your software? So when you come during certain no. times of day, you know that they're busy and you can just shoot them a message and say, Hey, I'm outside. I'm going to get started. I know I don't want to interrupt you, but if you are free and you, there's anything you need, come out, let me know. I'll be outside or whatever. Right. It's like you can address these customers in those ways, you know, through just really great communication. Right. And it's like, we've all seen those people and it's like, they're just, it's like, it's like talking to a, a door, right? They're just, they're just so boring. They're, they're not pleasant at all. Maybe they smell like a cigarette, right? It's just like, oh my gosh, like get out of my house, right? <laughs> you know? Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, Rusty, we, you know, we're running short on time. These conversations always seem to go faster than, than planned. Tell us a little bit about where Pruitt Pest Control is headed. You know, tell us about some of the goals that you have for it and some of the things that you're going to implement to reach reach those goals. Sure. Yeah. Uh, when I first started, you know, it was a very serious conversation with my wife that, hey, I think this is something we really want to go in. And I spent a lot of due diligence reaching out to pest control operators, people in the industry. I mean, all over, you know, I mean, I was just you know, wearing people out, you know. And once we realized this was the industry, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to start off with a truck and a backpack sprayer if that's what I got to do. And not that I've been coasting with my other business because, you know, still working hard, but that was a, that was a, you know, it was going to be a different pattern of life there for a while. And I was very fortunate to hire some really, really good people. Uh, one of which is Lee, uh, who Solomon met uh, in Vegas, uh, who's our director of operations. 
And so it was almost like I always talked in terms of two different paths, right? We had a path where if I needed to go out there and I had to spray houses and hop in a truck and do that, then that's what I was willing to take. Or if I had doors open with really good people that I could recruit and duplicate myself, the two paths, there could be a different difference in timing. And so I was very fortunate to, I feel like we're hiring the best of the best, right? Um, and, and not just Lee, but we have several team members who listen to this podcast, by the way. So shout out to them, you know, that are just game changers, man. And man, they'll run a wall for our customers. They'll run through a wall for our customers. They'll run through for Lee, our director of operations. And that is super hard to find. And so if you had asked me a year and a half ago, what were our goals? I, was, I would have said, well, I want to build this company up where, you know, it could replace the income maybe for our other things, right? Or, you know, so I could provide, a, you know, a living for my family. And, and that still is the goal, by the way, because, you know, we're just now getting where we're making money. But I think, um, you know, now we, we set some pretty, pretty lofty goals. We're trying to get to that. Well, where, where are you, you guys? Are, where you are guys you are seeing that, that you're, you're already starting to, you know, break even and get into the black with your company that's what, just over a year old? Yeah. And, you know, it was a significant investment, you know, uh, that I'm putting my personal capital in. And and so we projected 18 to 24 months. And, um, you know, that's why we, again, I, I would rather put my my investment into people in a good marketing campaign. And I've learned that from other successful Allstate agents, right? Uh, Craig Wiggins, a sort of a, a mentor of mine in the insurance business told me that. He's like, man, he's like, if I've got $5,000 to get put into a marketing campaign, a billboard or something, or 5000 to put toward hiring a stud salesman, I'm putting it toward the salesman because they'll figure it out, right? And that's something that's always stuck with me. And so I, I feel like that's what we've done with the team we've put together. And we've got almost 20 team members now between the three locations. And uh, I know, Solomon, you're going through EOS right now, as are we. And, you know, we set our, I'm not going to say our 10-year target, um, you know, because you guys will laugh at me and probably cancel the Zoom meeting. But, um, you know, our five-year target be a $15 million company. And, and of course, we're breaking that down into our three year, then one year, and we'll do our planning uh, next month. But, you know, that's a combination of organic growth and, and acquisition. So we, we've got some pretty aggressive, aggressive goals. That's, I mean, that's crazy. So, you know, when you start setting goals that high, so did you say 15 million, five years from opening mm-hmm. gross revenue, that would put you, there's like five companies that have done that, something like that. That's that's very that's very small company, and I'm not saying that because I don't think you'll do it. It's it's nice, it's refreshing to see those types of goals. And and for our listeners, it's like this is possible. Okay, Rusty wasn't even in the pest control industry, and I don't, you know, I wasn't really either. I came from from the law, but those are the types of goals that are possible. And I think even in the service industry. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we sell ourselves a little short on our goals. I tell people, hey, I would rather encourage somebody that doesn't end up you know, hitting a goal than discourage them and they do. Right. I really would. And, and I, I, I hope that rings true to our listeners. Like, Think about it. Think about Rusty's goal. That's, I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. This, and, this is the and, first time I've said it out loud. So, uh. and if he say, and if he's let's say, let's say he doesn't hit it, guys. Let's say that he, in five years he only does only right in quotes he only does thirteen million, right? So yeah, I hope that like well, at least one of the takeaways from this is 
shoot for the stars, right? This is a this is a very powerful industry. There's a lot of growth in it right now for a lot of reasons, but that's awesome. Congratulations on that, Rusty. Well, look, and, and to your point, all right, let's say we're, we're well short and we're half of that, right? Yeah. I mean, a $7 million company is pretty awesome. I mean, you know, from what I've seen in this industry and, and, you know, I guess my mentality is to not think like, why can't I do this? Like, how can I, right? And you guys are that way too. I mean, you're not as successful as you are without having that mentality. And it's, you know, if it's $15 million, I say, okay, well, what's our target? And again, I learned this from a mentor of mine eight or nine years ago. You know, he said, well, well, let's start with the end in mind. Where would you like to be? And uh, he's like, well, no, no, no. He's like, in an ideal world, where would you like to be? And, and that's the conversation we had this time. We said, we said 15 million. Okay, well, now let's work our way backwards to figure out how do we get there? And then I think for me, what it comes to from there is like, okay, well, what resources do we need to, all right, do I not need to take a profit out of the company for the next five years to get there? Okay, well, am I willing to make that sacrifice? Exactly. Do I need, are we going to open in 10 locations? Am I willing to go be on the road for, you know, 300 days out of the year if I had to, to make that happen? You know, the answer is no for me. So you've got to figure out what is realistic and what resources are you willing to invest, secure? Do you need to bring in investment capital to get there? Right. And we, you know, we've had private equity talk, talking to us. We've, we've had several different groups that we've talked to just in the last few months. Obviously, they're trying to get into this industry and, you know, they're willing to put money behind it. So can we get to 15 million? I'm very confident we can with the right people in place. Clearly, it's about, it's about the people and the resources. You know, are you willing to give up? What are you willing to give up to get there? I guess is the question. You guys are dealing with this with your companies, your high growth companies and, uh, so that's that's kind of where we are. And, and But, you know, part of our plan with EOS, what is our plan for next year? What is our one year plan? What do we need to do for the next year to then be able to sit back down to take the next step? And so we've identified those things. And if we fall short, we fall short. But at least we have some targets we're trying to hit. And when I first told my team, you know, we kind of came up with the with the with the math of what we're trying to do. They all looked at me like I had 10 heads and I'm like, well, let's let's just break it down. Let's work our way backwards. Okay, so we did a, we did an acquisition this year. We did two, right? So let's say we do, they were small, but let's say we do one of those every year for the next five years. So let's say we can go into these markets. You know, we did annualized sales in the two market. We, we brought in 200 new customers last month between our three locations, right? Well, let's say we can invest a little bit more in some salespeople and marketing. And let's say we can double that, right? This was our first year. And again, I'm not saying we're going to do it. We may fail flat. You know, a key person may quit or something may happen. But at least we can paint the picture for everybody now to show them this is how we can get there. And once you once they see like, wow, that is realistic. Yeah, we can do that. You know, well, Isaac, you need to go from 100 customers in the market you just sold last month to 200. What does that mean? Well, you need two more sales guys and we need to do this is much more in marketing, right? We're willing to invest in that. And now all of a sudden, something that seems so pie in the sky is something so doable for them, you know? And that's how we've tried to break it down. And if we fail, we fail, but at least we, you know, got some targets and a plan, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, what you're saying, I mean, you know, from the episode that, that, you know, we dropped the week prior, you know, when uh, Phil Cooper was talking about the story of Gino Wickman and, and, you know, when they started EOS and and they set their 10 year target of getting, you know, 10,000, you know, clients using the EOS, you know, and his partner said, you know, how are we going to do this? And he said, you know, 90 days at a time, right? It's just, <laughs> just 
focus on the one step ahead that you need to take each day, right? Left foot in front of the right foot and, and keep moving forward. You know, I, I think you'll, you'll, probably surprise yourself and smash past, you know, 15 million, especially with the the pace you're already on. I mean, you know, shoot, it's like when with Aruza, I mean, within after our first year, I mean, we were only maybe 700, 750,000, you know, and it's like now this year, you know, five, five years in, we'll do uh, probably, you know, 10, 11 million. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, really for our listeners, it give, it gives them an opportunity to kind of reevaluate, especially as the new year is right around the corner, I evaluate my goals on almost a daily basis. I do it about five or six times a week. I'm looking at them and, and seeing if I'm on track and all these things, but I make it a point toward the end of the year to kind of look back and see what is going on with my companies and what I want to accomplish. So it's a great opportunity for them to see if, if their actions are consistent with their goals. So that's a great question for you, for you listeners is, is ask yourself, are my actions consistent with my goals? So, well, it's been a real pleasure to have you on, Rusty. You know, it's it's cool to see a guy, you know, a quote unquote outsider jump into the industry and have that type of scale. Where can people reach out to you? Where do you want to send them to find out more about what you're accomplishing? I mean, you know, they can, you know, follow me on, friend me on Facebook or LinkedIn or, you know, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to, to do a Google search these days. Our, you know, our podcast, again, I've had both of you as guests on the podcast. It's a Pruitt Pest podcast. And look, that podcast is something I, I follow Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, um, on his podcast. And it's funny, you know, for years, he's like, you just need to do a podcast. And I couldn't figure out a way to incorporate it with insurance. I felt like it was too boring. But I'm like, you know what? We're just going to document the journey of doing this and what it's yeah. also allowed me to do. Because I think it'll, it'll be cool to look back and go listen to these episodes. And I'll probably sound like a moron in, in, in most of them in the beginning if I, if I don't right now. But, you know, it's allowed me to get connected with guys like you, right? And so the two of you have been inspirational to me. And when I go back to my team over the last 12 months, and I'm like, oh, my God, I just talked to Alan Draper. And, like, I'm sharing this stuff. And I'm like, you got to let I'm, like, forward in the podcast or Solomon. I mean, I told Lee, I'm like, dude, they went from six to they're going to be at 10 million at the end of the year. That's what's so awesome about this industry. Here I am, at, uh, you know, an outsider, and I've made connections with people that, you know, some technically are competitors, maybe, maybe not, but everybody's so willing to help. And it's, it's really refreshing. And I can't thank the two of you enough because I think, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, and I think we're all going to make the industry a better industry with the practices and, and things we're trying to do to make it better. So thank you guys. I mean, and that's exactly yeah. what this, what this podcast is for, you know, I mean, is for us to just help elevate each other. I mean, we were, I was in a, you know, a little thread on our, uh, you know, our Facebook group the other day and this guy was talking, I'm like, look, man, I'm like, you know, if we come together as an industry and we unite, you know, we control the market at that point. The market does not control us. It's like, we could set whatever price or, or standards that we wanted if, if we all came together, you know, but unfortunately it only takes that one individual or that one group to kind of, you know, try to ruin it for the rest of us. But, you know, that's what this is all about is us, us working together as an industry and, and to elevate this thing to where, you know, we're, we're all unstoppable. Love it. Yeah. And, and that's a great place to wrap up. Another thing that I love about this industry is that you're hard pressed to find somebody that w that won't help you, that won't answer some questions for you. And with that in mind, if you guys have questions, make sure that you're that you're in our Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company Facebook group. 
if you're not, make sure to join that. Just just within Facebook, just search and you'll see that that group pop up. You know, make sure again to leave us a review and follow us on this podcast. If there's anything that Saul or I or I imagine Rusty can do to help you along your entrepreneurial path, be sure to let us know. As you guys know, you know, one of the main purposes of this podcast is to help others become bug money millionaires. Um, I saw somebody throw that around in a in a Facebook conversation that I wasn't really involved with, and it kind of brought a little a little smile to my face. So whatever we can do to help that become a reality for you, be sure to let us know. And we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and we'll catch you on the next episode.